0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. The podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith and as always, I will be your host. Appreciate you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. We have a great one for you. Episode 276 entitled Wisdom and the pre-existent rock in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Now, before we get started, I want to let you know that you can now follow and interact with me on Twitter. The Twitter handle is twitter.com slash onegodpodcast. That's one spelled out, O-N-E-G-O-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Twitter.com slash onegodpodcast. I look forward to interacting with you and hearing what you think about the weekly episodes or just how your day's going. In this week's episode, we're going to explore 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, a passage that baffles interpreters because on the surface, it appears to say that Jesus Christ preexisted as a, checks my notes, preexisted as a rock in the wilderness, and in the form of a rock, the passage seems to indicate that Jesus gave nourishment to the children of Israel in their trek through the desert and the wilderness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter ten, verses one through four. So we got the sacramental theology, we've got baptism, they were baptized into Moses, and we have the Lord's Supper imagery, the Eucharistic imagery of drinking. The spiritual drink and eating the spiritual food. What is Paul doing in this passage? Here are some questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, why do modern scholars point to Paul's wisdom Christology when they interpret this particular passage? Second, how would 1st Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 make better sense when it's placed firmly in in its Jewish context, particularly the context of interpretations surrounding the meaning and the significance of the nourishment-giving rock in the wilderness? And lastly, what can we discern about Paul's hermeneutical and interpretive strategy as he identifies the human Jesus with God's personified wisdom? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is Paul's wisdom Christology in 1 Corinthians. So before we get to chapter 10, verse 4, we have to point out that Paul has been seeding the ground. He has been laying the groundwork. He has been preparing the foundation before we get to chapter 10 by identifying Jesus with the wisdom of God and this is called wisdom Christology which is the Christology that identifies Jesus Christ by applying descriptions and attributes and terms formally used of God's personified wisdom to the person of Jesus that's what wisdom Christology is and Paul tells us, in no certain terms, that he possesses a wisdom Christology, and he wants his readers to also adopt this way of understanding Jesus. That is, understanding Jesus in terms of what was formerly said about God's personified wisdom. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 22, Paul says, "...for indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom." But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. As 1 Corinthians 1 verses 22 through 24. Paul here explicitly identifies Jesus as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the embodiment of God's power and the embodiment of God's wisdom. A few verses later, in chapter 1, particularly in verse 30, Paul makes another explicit connection. He says, But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 30. So before, Paul wants to indicate that for us who are in Christ, Jesus is bringing to us righteousness from God, sanctification from God, and redemption from God. Before he's able to make those things, Paul wants his readers to know that Jesus is wisdom from God. Jesus is in some way, identified with God's wisdom. The wisdom, which, in the fullest sense of its interpretive meaning in the Hebrew Bible and in Hellenistic Judaism, wisdom is a personification. It is the personification of God's wise interaction with and instruction to God's creation. Now, Paul has another passage in which he applies traits and attributes and descriptions formally said about God's wisdom to Jesus Christ. He does this in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Again, we should not be surprised by this because Paul has already made explicit identifications with wisdom, and he's declared his wisdom Christology to his readers. Now, I don't think this is the very first time that the readers in Corinth would have come to see Paul's wisdom Christology. It's very likely that they were instructed in this quite earlier but we could see in chapter 8, verse 6, where Paul says, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, out of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, we exist through him. In this passage, where we have the one God defined exclusively as the Father alone. Paul the Christian does not identify the one God as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If Paul did believe in the Trinity, here is a place where he would say it. He says, for us, instead, there is one God, the Father, full stop, out of whom, out of this one person, the Father, came all things. The Father is the creator of all things. But, Paul is drawing on other passages to where God creates through a personified mediator. Like in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, where Yahweh creates the heavens and the earth through his wisdom, Proverbs 3.19. We can also see this in Psalm 104, verse 24. the great works of Yahweh, his great works he made through his wisdom. And this was picked up even in the Septuagint, in Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, where the God of our fathers made all things through his word and through his wisdom. God's personified word And God's personified wisdom so the father Yahweh is the one person who created all things he alone is the creator but he creates wisely he creates in an ordered fashion he creates things that have structure and meaning and purpose they are wisely ordered God does this by creating through his wisdom that is by wisely ordering his creative works And so Paul is able to take these attributes and descriptions of God's wisdom and he's able to apply them to Jesus. He does this in 1 Corinthians 1.24, 1 Corinthians 1.30, and arguably 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. This is Paul's wisdom Christology. So since Paul is demonstrating his wisdom Christology earlier in 1 Corinthians... We should not be surprised when we see something which seems to quite explicitly be wisdom Christology once we place the nourishment-giving rock within its Jewish context in First Corinthians chapter 10. So Paul's already informed the readers that he is interpreting Jesus in light of the attributes of wisdom now applied to Jesus. Then we should not be surprised when we see it in chapter 10 verse 4. Let's spend some time placing chapter 10, verse 4 in this Jewish context. That moves us to our second point, point number two, the nourishing rock interpreted as personified wisdom in pre-Christian Judaism. We have three Jewish authors that describe the rock that gave nourishment, that is, that gave water and food to the Israelites in the wilderness, And these Jews interpreted this rock as God's wisdom, as personified wisdom. The first Jewish author to do this is the writer of Sirach. Sirach is a book written around the year 200 BC, and it's a book that's included in the Septuagint. So Sirach says in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, whoever fears the Lord will do this, and whoever holds to the law will obtain wisdom. She will come to meet him like a mother, and like a young bride, she will welcome him, she will feed him with the bread of learning, and give him the water of wisdom to drink. That's Sirach chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, to her wisdom is personified as a female, namely as a mother, as a bride, and as a nursing mother, who not only gives food for nourishment, but also water to drink. So here Sirach is describing wisdom as a personified woman who gives nourishment to the people of God who obey his commands, who fear the Lord. But water is the one that comes from personified wisdom. The second passage is from Wisdom of Solomon, also included in the Septuagint, written probably in the 1st century B.C., so about 100 years before 1 Corinthians, 100 years before Paul. And Wisdom of Solomon says this in chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Lady Wisdom prospered their works by the hand of a holy prophet, namely Moses. They journeyed through an uninhabited wilderness and pitched their tents in untrodden places. They withstood their enemies and fought off their foes. When they were thirsty, They called upon you. They called upon Lady Wisdom. And water was given them out of a flinty rock and from hard stone, a remedy for their thirst. This was in Solomon chapter 11, verses one through four, to where the Israelites called upon Lady Wisdom. And what were they given? They were given remedy for their thirst and water, specifically from a rock. And the rock is described as a hard stone. So wisdom is the one that gives this remedy, this water coming from the rock. And then we have a contemporary of Paul, Philo of Alexandria, who in two passages identifies personified wisdom as a female figure that associated with the rock and associated with the nourisher, the giver, of food and drink so in the first work we'll look at from philo of alexandria called legum allegoreum, book 2 paragraph 86 philo says moreover the soul falls in with a scorpion that is to say with dispersion in the wilderness and the thirst which is that of the passions seizes on it until god sends forth upon it the stream of his own accurate wisdom. And he causes the changed soul to drink of unchangeable health, for the abrupt rock is the wisdom of God. So here Philo identifies explicitly the wisdom of God with the rock that is feeding the soul, particularly giving thirst. In another passage, in Philo, in the book Quad Deterius Patiori, book one, paragraph 115, Philo says, quote, now these energies are especially the food of the soul, which is competent to give suck, as the lawyers say, quote, honey out of the rock and oil out of the solid rock, end quote. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 2313 follow goes on he says meaning by the solid rock which cannot be cut through the wisdom of god is the nurse and foster mother and educator of those who desire incorruptible food End quote the wisdom of god is this personified female the mother and the nurse and the educator the one who is offering the incorruptible food. And Philo interprets this by interpreting Deuteronomy twenty three thirteen, which talks about the nourishment that comes out of the rock. So there we have Sirek, We have the writer of Wismus Solomon. And we have Philo of Alexandria, three Jews who predate the writings of Paul, indicating their understanding of this nourishment-giving rock in the wilderness in terms of God's personified wisdom. So if Paul is set in his context, we can see that this is a very common way that Greek-speaking Jews are understanding the significance of the rock in the wilderness. The rock gave nourishment because God's wisdom gives nourishment. And since Paul has a wisdom Christology, It's not surprising that Paul can, in some sense, say that Jesus is this wisdom, this wise wisdom rock that gave nourishment. But how can Paul indicate that the human Jesus, Jesus Christ, was actually a rock in the wilderness? What does Paul mean by this? This moves us to our third and final point, point number three, Paul's typological hermeneutic in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And there I gave the answer away. Paul's hermeneutic, the way that Paul can describe Jesus as a preexistent rock, is that he uses typology. How do we know Paul uses typology? Answer, Paul tells us explicitly that he is interpreting this passage typologically. He doesn't do it once, he actually does it twice. So we read 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1-4. through If you read a couple verses later, in verse 6, Paul says this, quote, Now these things happen as examples for us, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. But the noun examples comes from the Greek noun typos. Actually, it's plural in Greek, tp, the word for types. These things happen as types for us. Paul's interpreting the baptism and the Eucharist that the Israelites experienced typologically Not literally, not even allegorically. He's using typology. And so this is how Paul is going to understand Jesus as a rock. Not literally, but as a type. And then a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, Paul says it again just to make sure that we haven't missed it. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says, now these things happen to them as an example. But here he uses the adverb, Typikos, which is the adverb form of type and typology in relation to the noun typos from verse 6. So twice Paul tells us that he is using typology as his hermeneutical framework in interpreting Jesus as a pre-existent rock. This doesn't mean that Paul really did believe that Jesus pre-existed as a rock. It means that the nourishing effects of the rock, which other Jews were understanding in terms of God's wisdom can be described in terms of Christ if we understand Christ typologically as this wisdom defined rock in the wilderness so by Paul using the examples of baptism and the eucharist to describe the israelite wilderness trek we can now understand his typological hermeneutic the children of israel did not really practice New Testament water baptism, obviously, nor did the Israelites eat spiritual food and drink spiritual drink of the New Covenant Lord's Supper, the communion meal. That much, again, is self-evident. This imagery of baptism in the Eucharist is typologically read into the Old Testament by Paul in order to indicate that just as some of the Israelites initially did all the correct things, but later their disobedience led to their downfall, so too should Christians not merely rest on performing the sacraments without the accompanied obedience that the new covenant relationship demands. Jesus Christ for the church is now a nourisher as understood in the Eucharist. Jesus offers spiritual food through his body. He offers spiritual drink through his blood. And this is not unlike the rock in the wilderness, who is embodied by lady wisdom, by personified wisdom. The rock offered the nourishment to the people of God. Now it's Jesus offering nourishment to the people of God. Oh, and by the way, this typological interpretation of Jesus and personified wisdom is exactly what Paul has been saying all along in 1 Corinthians, in the three places that I've already demonstrated prior to the reader getting to chapter 10. Now, I like this quote from Anthony Theselton in his commentary, the first epistle to the Corinthians, in the New International Commentary of the New Testament on page 729. He indicates that... While this background, which was the stock and trade of Hellenistic Jewish diaspora synagogue sermons, has become unfamiliar now to most modern readers, and hence requires explanation. Quote. Dr. Theselton indicates that this understanding of the rock in terms of God's wisdom was the common Hellenistic Jewish interpretation in Paul's time, but It's unfamiliar to many readers today, and so we have to take the time to explain it and to set it in its context. He's pointing this out, I'm pointing it out, and I'm trying to do what I can to help bring that explanation to serious readers of the Bible who want to interpret Paul charitably, that is, interpret him in light of his own explained typology, his own wisdom Christology, and interpret Paul in light of his Jewish context in which the nourishment-giving rock was understood in terms of God's personified wisdom. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we discuss the meaning of preexistence. And we discuss why the term preexistence practically begs for clarification, since there are, guess what, three discernible ways in which biblical scholars describe and differentiate preexistence. If you don't know what the three different ways in which pre-existence is understood by biblical scholars, you will not want to miss our next episode, so please look forward to it. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us absolutely for free by subscribing on YouTube or iTunes, by giving us an honest review, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation to help keep us on the air, you can check out our episode's description with a PayPal link. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.